Now, I hope that you remember from last week that 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 kind of at the end of the day, this this is what we kind of got to. Uh, Paul walked them through this discussion that said, you know, if if the promises of God are yes for you, they've got to be yes for me. And if they're yes for me, they've got to be yes for you. And that we live in this relationship of grace and mercy. Now that, that somebody may disappoint you, may frustrate you, may make you scratch your head and wonder why in the world would you say or do that kind of thing, may in fact have actually done something that was wrong. But as people of faith, living in a community of faith, we understand that, that we have got to live with God's grace at work within us in our lives, both in me and in the person who disappoints me, or in you and the people who would disappoint you. In all that discussion, Paul really never explains himself too much. He doesn't defend himself. That was last week. Uh, today in our text, Paul continues this discussion, but he does get into it just a little bit and, and kind of explaining a little bit about why he didn't come. But, but it's really based on tenderness and love for the people, the Corinthian people. And, and he talks in that context about the importance of forgiveness. And that's kind of what we're talking about today is why, why does forgiveness matter in my life? Why is it such a big deal? And so we're going to be looking at our passage today. It is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 23. And I'm going to read through uh, chapter 2, verse 11. But as I'm reading, and I'd like you just to be kind of listening to the reading or following along on the screen, but be thinking about that question, why does forgiveness matter in life? Why is this important to me? And so I read. Second Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 23, and this is what it says. It says, I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth, not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you, for if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad? But you whom I have grieved, I wrote as I did so that when I came, I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would rather that you would share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know that know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient for him. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive joy. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. The reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. If you forgive anyone, I also forgive him. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. The question remains, why is forgiveness so important? And to kind of get at that question, I'd like to kind of start at the back of this passage and work our way forward. 
or I guess backwards and go backwards. I don't know. I don't start at the end and work backwards. But I think there are really three very important reasons why forgiveness isn't so important to us in the context of this passage. I think the first one comes very simply as this, that, that a lack of forgiveness opens doors for evil. A lack of forgiveness opens doors for evil. Paul says that Satan is scheming, and if we're not careful, he might outwit us. That's kind of the last verse of that passage, verse 11. He, he might outwit us. And this word for outwit us is this idea of take advantage of us or, or take advantage of a situation. It says when, when we don't live in forgiveness with one another, with someone else, both the giving and the receiving of forgiveness, we give an evil an opportunity in our lives. Evil takes advantage of our own hardness of heart and makes things worse. Makes things worse for us and makes things worse for the people around us. In fact, First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, you probably remember this verse. It says, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, this is the reality of what we have going on around us. He'll jump at any opportunity, and the lack of forgiveness is one of those opportunities. Now, just think about this for a minute. Have you ever struggled to really forgive somebody? Don't raise your hand. I always do that. All right. You don't need to answer that question publicly. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. We have all had moments when we've struggled to forgive somebody something. I'm just guessing. And, and, and you kind of look on your own experience with that kind of stuff, or, or you look at the life of somebody else who has harbored anger or harbored resentment or harbored things in their lives that, that they just could not seem to or were unwilling to let go of. And, and you know what, in the end, you've seen what that does in your own life and you've seen what that does in the lives of other people. It, it creates a bitterness. It creates uh, an angst within them. It, it sours them to the things of God and to the things of the world around them. It, it is this canker that just grows in us. The lack of forgiveness truly opens ourselves up to, I'll just call it evil. Let's just call it that. Well, the second reason why forgiveness is so important is that forgiveness is the key to restoration in relationships. We all live in relationship with one another, both, both here in the church, in your home, and your relationships outside. But forgiveness is the key to restoration in those relationships because guess what? you are going to disappoint the people around you. You are going to mess up with the people around you. And if you haven't yet, which I know you have, but if you haven't yet, you will. Yes? No, don't raise your hand. I'm sorry. Did that again. Forgiveness is the way out. Forgiveness is the way to something better. Forgiveness is the start of something better, and in this case, restoration. And Paul says... To avoid opening a door to evil, it is important that Paul and the rest of them forgive this one who had created this mess, this problem. Paul had instructed them to deal with the problem. And I, and I want to clarify this because I'm, I was nervous a little bit last week and, and I don't want to give you the impression that, that it doesn't matter how you live your life because it does. It does matter. There is, in fact, you know, God doesn't say because you live in my grace, it doesn't matter how you live. That would be untrue. 
It does. And, and Paul says that, that the Corinthian church, he instructed them to deal with this person. And, and our actions and behaviors, we, we do have consequences to those things. But those actions as we deal with people who have sinned or people who have done something to harm us or, or done just bizarre things, our action and purpose in the midst of all that thing, all that relationship has to be the restoration of a relationship. You understand the difference? Am I, is that clear? Do I need more? I, I, just want to, I just want you to understand what we do and say does make a difference, but, but it's not the end of the world. We, we are working together with one another towards a healthy, strong relationships, and forgiveness is the key into that process. It doesn't mean we just don't see it or we ignore it. It, it, it means that we walk through that to the place of forgiveness and restoration. Now, we don't know exactly what was going on in this situation. There are probably two references in the midst of this interaction with the Corinthian church that might make us wonder what Paul is referring to here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul talks about a person there who was sexually immoral, and he says to them in chapter 5, don't associate with that person any longer. They would not respond to to the preaching and teaching. Don't respond. They didn't respond to that. So, So just don't associate with that person any longer until they turn and repent. It's also in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul gets back to the story. He's going to take this little sideline in a minute. We're going to get into it in a few weeks. But he gets back to it in chapter 7, and there is a reference to that that makes us think that maybe it is, in fact, this type of dissension right here that he's referring to. I tend to think that as well, that he's talking about this guy who had stirred up all this dissension. Well, We don't know that for sure. All we know is that there is this process of restoration going on and forgiveness and the renewing of love is part of that process. I have made this, and I'm going to just take a little rabbit trail and I'm going to be out of time here to do that, but let me just take this one little rabbit trail because I think this is important. Because sometimes, I don't know if you've ever thought this, but people just don't wake up in the morning and say, well, I think I'm going to sin today. I think I'm just going to do something kind of stupid today. I think I'm just going to go and offend somebody today. Or I'm going to go, you know, have an adulterous relationship today. Or I, people just don't get up in the morning and say, yeah, let's go. It is a process. And, and the whole process, it's kind of one of those things. You, you kind of get, you get an idea. You see an idea out there. You have an idea. You begin to think about it. You begin to mull it over. You begin to check it out. You listen to possibilities. And, you, and, and then you finally end up dropping yourself right in the middle of it. That's kind of what happens. It's kind of what the psalmist says in Psalm 1. Uh, he talks about this idea of walking with the wicked and then standing in the path of sin and then sitting in the seat of scoffers. It's this, it's this process of, of kind of, I'm just kind of walking by. I'm not really into it, but I'm just kind of walking along it, looking at it. And then suddenly I'm standing there thinking, okay, I'm standing here with all this mess. And finally the psalmist says, you're in deep water when you actually just set your backside down in the middle of it. And there you are. And that's the way sin is. It, it's this kind of this progressive inkling thing that we get to sin. And, and suddenly we're deep in it. 
But all along the way, you have to understand, God is nudging and calling us and inviting us to a different path in a different way. He tells us he'll not tempt us more than we're able to endure. He's inviting us to find a way out all the time. And, and even after we're deep into the mess, even if we mess all that up and we missed all the opportunities to flee and all the rest of that, God is still working to draw us into something better. He makes us uncomfortable. That's why you feel bad about those things. He makes us uncomfortable with those things. He sends people to us to model a different kind of life and sometimes to even correct us and sometimes even to confront our stuff. And if we don't turn back to him, sometimes he allows the consequences of our choices to land on us And sometimes he even punishes us. And I know that's not a popular thought these days. But it doesn't come without a whole bunch of stuff before it. A whole bunch of opportunities to turn and do something else. See, God's great goal, and and it should be ours as well, is always a restoration of a relationship. Eventually, hopefully, early in the process, but eventually... We wake up and we say to ourselves, why in the world am I doing this? Or why did I do that? Sometimes that's full of sorrow and sometimes it's just like this intellectual analysis of the situation that says, this is just wrong, this is stupid, why am I doing this? And we turn ourselves around and we say to God, God, I've been going the wrong direction, I'm doing things the wrong way, but I want to go your way, help me to get there. And we find in a moment God's forgiveness and we begin to live in that and we seek the forgiveness of others. And God, thankfully, instantly forgives us. Sometimes we're a little slower to offer forgiveness, but we get there. But that's not the end of the process. See, because it's just one thing to say, well, I forgive you, that's fine, do that. It's another thing to say, I forgive you, and I restore you back into fellowship. That's kind of where we're at right here in this story, that, that, that this is what's happened in this guy. The one who had gotten into sin had been confronted by Paul about his behavior, and he refused to turn, and he received a, a form of punishment from the church. We don't know exactly what that was, but, but from 1-5, they didn't associate with it. And I'm kind of guessing that's probably what happened here as well. But whatever it is, it seemed to work. And, and even though it caused great sorrow for them all, both, both the church and Apostle Paul and, and to this one who had been doing this stuff, this person was seeking their forgiveness. And, And now came the time to actually give that forgiveness and to restore and renew their love for him. We're reminded in this process that that forgiveness is what's needed to restore these relationships because without it there is this sorrow and grief and separation that's devastating to us. And and we hear as we read this story that the pain and anguish that Paul has had writing these letters and dealing with this situation, the church themselves has have were grieved to be able to, to have to enforce a discipline upon this person. And, and the person himself was grieved over what had happened. 
But forgiveness is what restores that process back into a healthy, loving relationship. So not only is forgiveness important because it holds at bay the schemes of the devil, but it is the key to restoration of relationships. But forgiveness also models, models for us and others the character of Christ. See, Paul is modeling something to the Corinthian church. He's modeling this idea of forgiveness and restoration by how he's responded to this one who has caused him such pain and sorrow. You see, because you remember, this is the guy. This is the guy who stirred up all these people who have called into question his character, his calling, his apostleship, his authority within the church. This is the guy. Have you ever had somebody who was the guy? Somebody who is at the core of creating problems and issues for you in your life or your ministry or your work. This is the guy. I mean, this was the guy, he stirred all these people up and he just got a bunch of people together. You know what that's called? That's called dissension and scripture speaks really strongly against someone who is dissentious in the church. You don't, you don't want to be that person. But Paul is speaking forgiveness of this one who has caused such pain and such sorrow in his own life. And he's reminding them in this process of this same amazing grace that God extends to us in our forgiveness and restoration. It is what we talked about last week. If God's promises are yes, for me, they've got to be yes for this person too. This person is seeking God's forgiveness. He's seeking restoration. He's seeking newness of life. And I have to extend the yes to this person. And if I don't, I'm in trouble. Because here's the deal. How can any of us effectively move forward if we are continually living in grief and sorrow over our sins? Sins that we have committed or sins that have been committed against us. We are living in the grace and mercy, in the forgiveness of Christ in the asking and the giving and the receiving of forgiveness. It is what brings wholeness and healing in our life. And it is what we celebrate today. That's what communion is about. We are remembering that Christ died for us. And you remember this? We who were far from God, while we were yet sinners, Romans 5 tells us, while we were yet sinners, while we were still hostile to God, Christ died for us. That we might understand his love. That we might receive his forgiveness. We are in that place of grace with God. And this morning as we prepare our hearts and minds for communion, you know, maybe this is a good place and time for us to think about a couple things. If you need to personally 
seek God's face again. Maybe you're one of those people who are, who are just kind of out there and, and maybe people know it, maybe nobody knows it but you, but, but maybe there's a place in your own life where you say, God, I've been going the wrong direction and I need to turn around. You know that God's forgiveness is waiting for you? His restoration? He's not there to hold this stuff up over you. He's saying, come on, come on. Grace and mercy, it's abundant and it's free. Come on. Maybe that's you. And you need to have a little conversation this morning with God. But maybe it's also a good time to stop and reflect on who in your circle needs your forgiveness and restoration. Perhaps it starts with just extending a hand of forgiveness to the one who's wronged you. Maybe it means letting go of some little thing that irritates you about that other person. Maybe it takes a conversation you need to just go and have and just listen and hear. Maybe there's forgiveness that needs to be offered, given, received in that relationship. Lord, we are so thankful for grace and mercy alive and well in us. Our heart swells with the knowledge of that forgiveness. We live in the joy of our Lord and the joy of your forgiveness. Lord, bless each one. May forgiveness be the character, lifestyle that we live. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.